ahead and grab out your Bible, something to take some notes with. If you are new to victory, we believe in taking notes. And one day, one year, I will convince all of you that we believe in that. I promise you, as you read God's word, it's important. Take some notes as God shows you some things. The Holy Spirit has some things come alive to you. Write those things down. Because as you reference those in your spiritual journey, you'll come back a year or two later and you'll be reading a verse and the Holy Spirit will make something come alive and you'll read something. You'll realize how far you have come. You'll realize how much he has done for you, how far he has brought you. It's important to jot those things down as we study God's word because he'll make it come alive in your hearts. Amen, everybody. I will convince you one day. All right. It's going to be incredible. If you'd like, you can pull up the Victory Harvest Church app. There is a fill in the blank version. All of the verses and points that we'll cover today are there for you. You just have to fill in like one. One blank per line. It does not get easier than that. All right. So we're walking chapter by chapter in this series called Always Remember. Chapter by chapter through the book of 2 Timothy. Let me kind of catch you up on where we are. This is Paul's final letter on earth. This is the final letter we have that he wrote as he sits imprisoned in Rome. And really what Paul is doing, he's writing to his protege, Timothy, a young man in the faith. And he's writing to him about what it's going to look like when Paul is gone. About how Timothy now has to continue on the work of the church. He has to preach the gospel. He has to lead well. He has to fulfill the great commission. And honestly, that is true for every single one of us. So Paul is writing this letter about, hey, I'm about to go and be with the Lord. I know my time is short, but I've run the race. I've finished the course that God has set out for me. And now this is what you need to do to keep the faith. And so he writes to Timothy in all of these different chapters, always remember And so in chapter one, we looked at this in week one. He says, always remember, Timothy, to fan to flame the gifts that God has given you. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of power that he's given us to accomplish what God has called us to do in our lives. He said, remember, Timothy, fan into flame. So we have a responsibility. Yes, the gift of the Holy Spirit is free, but we have a responsibility to to shepherd and to safeguard that relationship. To fan into flame, to make sure we keep our spiritual temperature and we don't let ourselves grow cold. And he says, fan into flame the gift. And he writes to Timothy then and he says, and as you're doing that, because you live in a persecuting culture, he says, remember that you have not been given a spirit of fear. So as you fan into flame this gift that might get you killed, Timothy, remember you don't have a spirit of fear, but God has given you power, love and a sound mind. And so we studied that in week one. That honestly, we need to have boldness as we remember all that God has told us to tell others. We have to live with our boldness in our faith. So then week two, he says, remember, Timothy, that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. That everything we do as a church rallies around that fact. That the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. That everything we do is around the resurrection. Such a powerful, powerful message to remember. And then last weekend, he said, you need to remain faithful. That Timothy, there's going to be opportunities to fall away. But you've got to remain faithful. You've got to remember the firm foundation that we base our lives on. That is the word of God. He says people are going to fall away. They're going to get kind of sideways. And we're going to deal with that a little bit more in chapter 4. But he says it's God's word that holds us firm. It's God's word that's the firm foundation we built our lives on. And listen, church, we cannot get far away from that or we will lose our way. That we have to remember it's God's word that holds us. It's foundation. If there is shifting sand and there is changing culture, if there are things that knock us off course, we've got to remember what is the anchor. What is the firm foundation we build our lives on that God has called us to live? Today we finish out the series in chapter 4. And honestly, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bible. We'll have all the verses up here as well. But honestly, chapter 4, I struggled a little bit to bring you a message uh, out of this chapter because this is Paul's last... Now, Paul didn't separate the Bible into chapters. You understand that. But if he did, this is the final chapter that he would write. 
These are the last words of the Apostle Paul that we have that he wrote on planet Earth. And so it's a sobering fact. You can imagine this is one of the richest texts that you can find. One of the most, just so dense as he piles all of this in to tell Timothy because he knows his time is short. And so honestly, there could be like 35 different sermons just from this chapter alone. We'll probably revisit this later on in the year. But I just kind of looking at each verse has probably four different points. Now, I'm not going to do that to you today because I just I don't know if we're going to finish on time to begin with. Well, I pray. You, all right. You guys just pray out there that we do. But it's an incredible chapter as he walks through, as he's pouring all of this into Timothy, his last thing he's going to write. And as we read this from the Apostle Paul, he's really cramming it in every every verse, like I said. And so we're going to close out. With just some, some closing thoughts from Paul. Some ideas as he writes to Timothy. Some clothes, his young protege, he's trying to pour into him. And he's saying, this is what you can do to keep the flame hot. This is what you can do to pastor and to shepherd and to teach and encourage well. This is what you can do to kind of keep this thing between the lines. To make sure that you run the race. This is what you can do, Timothy. We're picking up in verse 1. And he says, I solemnly urge you. In the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living in the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now, we're going to get into a few more verses and scriptures in chapter 4, but I want to spend the majority of this first time we have together in just these two verses. Four things very clearly that he instructs Timothy He says, carry on the work of the gospel as he instructs each one of us to carry on the great commission that we have been called to do. The ones we have influence over, the ones that we are called to reach. As he writes to us, jot it down with me, taking those first thing he says is you've got to keep the right perspective. Now, we talk about this a lot here at Victory. You might wonder, why do I see this show up in so many series and sermons? Listen, because it is so easy to keep the wrong perspective because we live in a world like Timothy. Honestly, it hasn't changed all that much. That we live in a world where it is so easy to get our eyes off of what actually matters. That it is so easy for us to get our eyes off of the things that actually matter and focus on the wrong thing. It's easy to prioritize the wrong values. And look, before I point any fingers, I am pointing all of them back at myself. It is easy for us to get our eyes off of the things that actually matter. We have to keep being reminded about what life is actually about. And Paul, even in this letter, Paul is reminding Timothy ad nauseum how much to keep, how much his eyes have to be on eternity to keep the right perspective. He says, I solemnly urge you, back to verse 1, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. We need to pause for a minute. Every so often, we need to remind ourselves that this thing is not a bunch of stories. This is not an analogy or some kind of metaphor. This is not something that's like ethereal, like we just are having this idea of... No, this is an actual literal thing that will happen. That Jesus will return, that he will set up an actual kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth that you and I get to be a part of. And we have to remind ourselves that this is a thing that he is coming to judge the living and the dead. Now, there are a couple of judgments. We don't have time to get all of that during this series. But there is the, the judgment seat of Christ where Christians will be rewarded for the things they've done in this life. And then there's the great throne room judgment that it talks about in Revelation, where God will separate the children of God from those who have rejected the free gift of salvation, those who have followed the devil, and those will be judged forever to spend eternity in a real place called hell. 
That there is this fire and brimstone. There is an actual eternity hanging in the balance. And so when we see these scriptures, we have to remind ourselves that there is actual eternity that hangs in the balance. You can see the implications, how we have to have the right perspective, have to have our eyes set on the right things, the urgency we have to live in because he is returning to judge the living and the dead. And so we have to remind ourselves that nobody gets a free pass. Nobody, at the end of all of this, there will be a judgment. Every single one of us, yourself and myself included, will give an account for the things that we have done. The things that we have done, the things that we have not done. Where God has prompted us or the Holy Spirit has called us to share our faith or to be a witness or to be generous on occasion, to reach out to others, to love others in our life. We will give an account for all those times we disobeyed and rebelled. That we have to stand there. And even in this moment, that is a sobering thought. That we'll give an account for the things that we did in life. We have to keep that perspective that hell is a real place, heaven is a real place, and that eternity hangs in the balance for the lives of the people around us. And not only is it sobering for our own lives, but it's sobering in terms of fulfilling the great commission that we have been called to fulfill. So he's coming to establish a literal kingdom. We've got to keep that perspective because if we do, then some things that we clutch to so tightly won't matter all that much. The baseball game won't matter all that much to us. I'm not saying we can't live our life. I love watching sports. I love enjoying, but I'm just saying we won't lose our witness and our minds when that referee misses a call and your kid's team loses the championship. You understand that, right? Or when that person cuts in front of you at traffic. When we have the right perspective, we don't lose our mind because we realize some things don't matter all that much to begin with. Second thing he tells Timothy is you got to preach the word. A few things he's telling, he's, he's ending his life. Remember where Paul is in chains in Rome. Remember, he's about to end his life and he's ending it. And he tells Timothy, you've got to preach the word. If you're going to remain faithful, if you're going to stay strong, you're going to fulfill your calling, fan to fame the gifts. He says, you've got to preach the word. Preach the word of God in verse 2, he says. Now, that seems pretty straightforward to us. seems pretty simple. But honestly, it is not happening as much as it should, even in the body of Christ. This idea to preach the word. Like when you look across the landscape of Christianity, we're starting to have sections of Christ followers, even entire denominations, start to omit sections, to reinterpret, to reevaluate, to omit altogether certain sections of the word of God instead of preaching it in its entirety. And Paul is saying to Timothy, you got to reach, you got to preach the word of God. But instead we have sections that are saying, well, we won't touch that because it's a hot button issue. And we won't touch that because we don't want people to yell at us. Or we want to be in a good light or we want to keep, we won't, we won't go there because, you know, it's just easier to take. And he says, no, you got to preach the word of God. Here's why we cannot omit. Here's why we cannot let this happen to us. Acts chapter 20, Paul wrote, he said, I declare that I have been faithful. I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death. Watch this. If anyone suffers or spiritual death, it's tragic. he says, it's not my fault. For I did not shrink back from declaring all that God wants you to know. Amen. Basically, he's saying, if you go to hell and I didn't tell you that your lifestyle is what's sending you there, then that's kind of on me. That's what Paul is saying. If I, if I didn't tell you about it, that that's what's actually sending you to hell and you go there, it's kind of on me. And so he's praying, he's saying, I'm going to tell you all, so I've got to preach all of God's word. I've got to preach all that God wants you to know. So that I make sure, like if I preach everything, if I tell you everything that you need to know, whether it's popular or not, whether you like it or not, whether it offends you or not. Paul is saying, if I tell you all of that, it's the whole counsel of God's word that I want to preach. 
And he says, and so if you decide to go to hell after that, if you have spiritual dark, if you decide to suffer a spiritual death after that, then that's on you. And I just pray here at Victory. I don't want to offend anybody today, but I just pray here at Victory that if you decide to go to hell, that it's on you. That I don't get to heaven one day and God looks at me and says, well, you didn't tell them about this. Or you didn't preach about that. Or you shied away from this because you were trying to be everybody's friend. Or you were trying to make the church look in a good light. Or you were just trying to take the easy road and play it safe. No, I'm not trying to play it safe. I'm trying to preach the truth of God's word. That God's word is what sets us free. That it is designed. The thing that we are trying to omit, the thing people are trying to work themselves around, is the thing designed to set you free. It's what's designed to bring life. And we think we're doing it by omitting and not saying and keeping quiet and just hoping for the best. But it is not the word of God. It's what sets free. The word of God is what heals. So we got to preach the whole word. Because listen to me. I'm trying to preach all of the word. And sometimes people get offended. I just understand that's just a way of life. And sometimes people leave. But sometimes they grow. Sometimes they grow. And I'm not responsible for the outcome. But I am responsible for the input. That we would have the word of God. God has called us to teach the truth. we got to preach the word. And listen, that applies to your life as well. The people that you have been called to reach. The people that are in your sphere of influence. The people God has called you to. The Great Commission is for all of us. That in that people you are called to preach, we got to know that we are here to make a difference, not to make a point. I'm not saying run around and try to offend everybody in your life. Like go out from this church service and beat them over the head with your hardback Bible. All right, That's not what I am saying. Listen to me clearly, but we do have responsibility to the people that we love and the people around us to speak the truth. I'm just begging you. I'm I'm begging you to say, please, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself under the banner of Christian, you owe it to the people in your life, the people that you love, the people you have influence with to speak the truth. You owe it. And I'm just saying we have to preach the word because you can still have a relationship and disagree. Like the world will try to tell you, like, if you disagree, then you must hate me. No, no. Both of those can be true. I can have a disagreement with your lifestyle and still love you. That is a possibility that we can have. See, I can disagree and still love you. And so we have to make sure we understand that. And don't believe that you are loving somebody if you keep quiet and somehow hope that their life just kind of works out. If you hope that in the end something, no, you owe it to the ones you love to have uncomfortable conversations, to tell them what is true. Don't, the Bible doesn't say in the Great Commission, just go out and make friends, go out and make everybody. No, in fact, it says, beware when everybody speaks well. Beware when those happen. We need to speak the truth because the Bible says, preach the word. Be honest with the people and do it in love. We got to be patient and build people up. We'll see that in just a moment. But we got to speak the truth in love because can you imagine standing in eternity? And this haunts me, to be honest with you, because I have missed many opportunities. Imagine standing in eternity and to see your loved ones or see that person sentenced to eternity in hell and then turn to look at you and say, why did you never tell me? Why did you never help me with this? I was with you. I thought I was okay. You never said anything. Eternity hangs in the balance on the other side of our obedience. We've got to preach the word. We've got to say true to scripture. Do it in love, building people up. But we've got to preach The word, the entire counsel of God's word. All right, then he says, always be prepared. Jot it down if you're taking notes. So we got to preach the word. Then he says, always be prepared. You never know when God will lead you to share your faith. He says, be prepared. Watch this in the verse. And I love how he says this. Whether the time is favorable or not. 
First of all, I want to focus on this idea of always be prepared. Because isn't it true, like, we get caught off guard sometimes by divine encounters? Like, have you ever been in, a, just like, God brings somebody, and we are like, not today. Like, this is the worst day possible to see that person or to share. Like, we just get, he says, be prepared in every situation. Because God is calling. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to be prepared, whether it's favorable or not. Be ready to be a light in every single opportunity, every single chance you have to reach others for the gospel. Now, for some of us, we kind of, I think we get in our heads a little bit about this. Like we start to say, well, I don't have the gift of personal evangelism. That's just not what, it's not in my wheelhouse. I'm really an introverted person. I just don't have the thing. I shy away. But in Revelation, I want to show you this. The way that the believers, the way Revelation says they defeated the accuser, that is the devil, is two things. It says, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. It doesn't say the way that the certain preacher man defeated the devil. It doesn't say the way that certain called people, but not these other people. It doesn't say anything. It says the way the believers, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. In other words, they were able to share their faith in boldness without fear for their own health or their own safety. And now this is talking about a physical death, but I think some of us, when we think about sharing our faith in our workplace, in our job, at our classroom, wherever it is, we think about like a death of our career. Or we think about death of an opportunity or death of a pay raise or death of a relationship or death of our popularity. We think about all of these things. And so we diminish ourselves and our witness. But the way we overcome the devil, the way we let our light shine is by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. That he said by the blood of the lamb is the good news of the gospel. That's that Jesus died for your sins. Hey, that sin you're living in that's causing death and anxiety and depression and destruction in your life. That thing you can be free of because Jesus died in your place. You don't have to pay the price for your sins and go to hell. That is the good news, everybody. That that's the blood of the lamb wiped over them. That it's this idea that he died on a cross in your place. If you accept his lordship, you repent of your sins. You believe he died on the cross and rose again. You can be saved as well. The blood of the lamb. But then there's this other part of it, this two-edged sword that we then diminish to the other side. And we kind of want to, we want to play down. And that is the word of our testimony. Because the first is, here's what Jesus has done for you. And then let me tell you what it's done for me. Let me tell you how God has changed my life. Let me tell you how I used to be stuck in this substance or abuse or addicted to this thing or sex or whatever it was that I was caught in. But let me tell you how I've been set free. Let me tell you how I used to treat my family, how I used to treat my spouse. Let me tell you how I used to treat my kids, how I used to speak to other people, how I used to be. But now let me show you what God has done for me. Let me tell you how I've been set free, made new, redeemed, saved by the gospel. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life, the word of our testimony. And let me tell you how you can have the same thing. Listen to me, everybody. You have to be an infomercial. You understand this, right? Like I put in, Paul talks about being ambassadors for Christ. I'm going to put it in our label. Right? You need to be a walking infomercial in this world of what God can do in somebody's life. Y'all know like P90X stole from this scripture, right? You understand that, right? Because they get on that screen and they're like telling you all the benefits and all the things that it can do for your life. And this exercise and that supplement and all these things. But that's not what sells the product. What sells the product is that get that guy or that girl on that page who's like 30, 40 pounds overweight. And now they have like a 20 pack and they're like, I did it in 12 days. It was amazing. And you're sitting in your living room eating potato chips and you're like, I got to do that. That'll work for me. That's what I need. That's what I need in my life. Got to get some of that. That's what I need. Oftentimes when you discount and you diminish your testimony, you are eliminating one of the most effective methods of evangelism that are in existence. 
when you diminish your testimony. God wants to use your mess to be your message. God wants to use the things you have walked through. God wants to use the things he's done in your life to reach somebody else. But we got to be willing. The blood of the lamb. Share the gospel with everybody you meet. And the word of our testimony. Be ready on every occasion. Paul is telling him, be prepared. Be prepared in every situation, Timothy. To be, be prepared when you're in the coffee shop. Be prepared when you're walking around. Be prepared when you're at work. Be prepared to be like, hey, you know what? I used to suffer. From that kind of thing in my life. I used to have that kind of crippling anxiety when I stepped into it. I used to have that. Hey, I used to treat my family in that way. I used to speak like that to my kids. Hey, I used to lash out in anger to everybody in my circle. But can I tell you how God has set me free? Can I tell you what he's done in my life? Can I tell you? And you've got to be ready to share your story. To be able to share the foundations of the faith. Listen, you have to slap them upside the head with 75 scriptures, all right? You just got to be able to articulate the gospel. Hey, Jesus died in your place. You don't have to go to hell. Come on, somebody. Like you, you can articulate. And then you got to be able to share your story. To say, hey, this is what God has done in my life. Be prepared. But then it's interesting. I love that he says, whether the time is favorable or not. Now, that's interesting. Because in the original text, he's basically saying from the eye of the beholder, whether the time is favorable or not. Because I just want to submit to you, there is no bad time to share the gospel. Like Paul is not saying like if, if the time, like the, the year or the time or the place, there's no bad time to preach the word. So Paul's not saying whether it's favorable or not, whether people are receptive or not, whether it's a good time or not. He's saying there's never a bad time to preach the gospel. He's saying whether you're inconvenienced or not, whether it's bad for you or not, preach the word. Be prepared whether it's good for you or whether it's not good for you. Be prepared when you want to share it and be prepared when you don't want to share it to preach the word. Because when you have prayed up and you're coming out of church, right? And it's Sunday afternoon and you're at the lunch place or Piccadilly or wherever it is you go. And you're sitting there and you are on sky high, like the spiritual mountain. Like you have like, like all, everything is great and you are encouraged and you want to leave like a hundred dollar tip for the waitress. And you want to like lay hands and see him recover and you want to preach, preach the word in that moment. But also preach the word when you're like trying to check the 250th thing off your list and you're going 85 miles an hour through Oak Point thinking I have to get home to get this done. And you round that aisle and you see that person that you have not seen in like 10 years and they start to pour their life out to you. And you're like side eye and the milk, right? Because you just got it and you need to get it to the fridge. And you're like feeling it spoil in your cart as they are. They preach the word in that moment, whether it's convenient or inconvenient. Whether it's good for you or whether it's bad, preach the word. Preach the word and all this. Share your faith. Share your faith with the referee that missed the call that made your kid lose the championship. Come on, somebody. Share your faith. Don't lose your witness. In the, I have been, let's just, let's just get it all. I have been in several situations where I have lost my temper. I have damaged my witness. I have been with groups of people where I am not acting Christ-like. And it has come out somehow in the conversation that I pastor a church. And you can just see their faces of like, you, you're a pastor? <laughs> kind of, kind of. <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Yes, I <laughs> You should come. You should come. <laughs> Be prepared, <laughs> whether it is inconvenient or not. Whether it is, there is no unfavorable time for the word of God. I'll show it to you in Isaiah 55. Remember this verse. We read it all the time. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher, so my ways are higher than your ways. And thoughts higher than your thoughts. And right after this verse we read all the time is a verse that we almost never read. 
And watch what he says. He says, the rain and the snow come down from the heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the harvest and bread for the hungry. Watch this. There's this cycle that's happening. The rain and the snow, they fertilize the seed. The seed grows into the harvest to produce more seed, to produce the bread and the grain for those who are hungry. It says the same it is with my word. I send it out and watch this. And it always produces fruit. Read that with me. It always produces fruit. One more time like you can read. It always produces fruit. Isn't that incredible? God's word. He's saying it always produces fruit. My word never comes back void. That's where we get that. It always produces fruit. The seed that is growing. Isn't that amazing? God's word never returns. It says it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all that I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere that I send it. He's talking about his word. He's saying, no matter the time, no matter the convenience or the inconvenience, no matter what, God's word always produces fruit. And it will produce, God's word is always producing something. It never returns void. Never returns, which is why everything we teach here at Victory is always about God's word. It's why I put it up here on the screen next to me, everybody. You understand that, right? It's why we always have these verses up. Because if I just read it to you, you guys would doze off and like, like just kind of bathe out. You start like counting pendant lights in the ceiling. You'd be doing that stuff. There are 33 of them, by the way, just for all of you to <laughs> just head that right out the gate. All right. But if I read it, you just kind of do that. But I always put it here. Every verse, everything we do at Victory is centered around the word of God because it's going to produce something in your life. The word of God always produces something. Listen to me. You are not changing because victory is good. You are not changing because my preaching is good. You are changing because the word of God is good. That is what is causing the change and the transformation in your life. It always produces change. It's important to get into God's presence. We love worship. It's important to laugh with joy is good like a medicine. But everything we do is based around God's word. The only thing we do is to preach his word. Everything else is peripheral to that. That it's the word of God that changes, produces fruit. So there is no bad time to share your faith. There is no bad time to preach the gospel. Because whether you think it's a good time or not, the word is producing fruit. Whether it's convenient to you or not, whether it is in your wheelhouse, whether it is on your to-do list, whether it is the time that you thought would be a good time, whatever all of that, put that to the side because the word always produces fruit. It's always at work. It always accomplishes, God says. It goes wherever I send it and it does all that I want it to do. So we got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit leading us, whether we like it or not, whether it seems favorable or not. He says, Timothy, I want you to do a good job. Carry on the cause. Advance the body of Christ, fan to flame the gifts that you have, preach the word. We got to keep this thing between the lines, the firm foundation of God's word. It says, Timothy, you're carrying this on. He says, preach the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. Number four is the one that kind of started last week. And then we got to be patient with people. We got to preach the word, but jot it down. We got to be patient because they're the ones that we're going to reach. I think we lose sight of that. We're like, if all these people just got out of the way, I could live the life God called me to live. Though the life God called you to live are the people that are in the way. And we have to have the right perspective. We got to be patient with people because you never know when an encounter will change somebody's life. I've had moments that I don't even remember. And somebody has come and said, you know what? This meant something to me. Or that, that meant or we never know when something will change someone's life. We have to be prepared in every situation. If you're going to be faithful, you got to keep patience when it comes to people. Look at verse two. He says, patiently correct, rebuke and encourage people. Patiently correct, rebuke, whether the time is favorable, and encourage your people in good teaching. You've got to be patient. Let me give you several reasons. Here's one more list for you, all right? I'm going to give you several reasons that come from this verse or why we need to be patient with people. 
You might have a million reasons in your mind, but let me just give you those because it's going to happen. Listen, we all love, we love the idea that everybody that we have a connection with, everybody we share the gospel with would have like a Damascus Road experience. Like that is the dream, right? If you are actually dreaming about what it would look like to share the gospel, we believe it would be we would share in faith and boldness and be like, look, your sin is what is causing this in your life. And it's your sin that's destroying. But listen, the good news of Jesus is that you can be saved. And in our minds, they're like, wow, you are so right. Like, I had never seen that. You're right. It is my sin and it is my choices that are causing this pain. And now I once was lost, but now I'm found. My eyes were closed, but now they're open. Thank you. And anybody, any of you who have ever shared your faith, if you've ever shared your faith with another person, you understand that is not what happens 99% of the time. Probably what they look at you and they say, hey, get away from me, you idiot. The God's not real. You've got to stop judging me. Why don't you stop talking? Why don't you stop? But listen to me. Remember, the word never returns void. And so we've got to be faithful to plant the seed, to water, to see the harvest come. Paul talked about this, that one plants the seed, but they may never see it grow. One then comes and waters, but they never see the outcome. But God brings the increase. And so we're not faithful. We, it's not our responsibility to see the outcome. We don't know how many people and how many things God will send and to do to shape this person's life. Each person is complex in their own lives. You understand that? Like everybody walking around you has their own story and their own journey. And God is drawing each one of us. But we have to be faithful to where he has called us. For that brief window, we have to make sure that we reach the call. And we make that stop, we stop and pour into that person's life. Because the word never returns void. We've got to be patient with the harvest. We've got to be patient with people. Why? Jot it down. The first reason is people will reject the truth. Several things about people you need to know, Timothy. And he warns them. A time will come. Watch this. When people will not put up with sound doctrine. You say, well, what is sound doctrine? He's prophesying to Timothy, like in his lifetime, and certainly in the church age that we live in, people won't tolerate sound doctrine. They won't tolerate good teaching. And you ask, what is good teaching? Back up to the verse before it. It says, correcting, rebuking, and encouraging. In verse 2. So good teaching, good doctrine should do these three things. Jot it down if you're taking extra notes, all right? This is just if you want to. Good teaching corrects. You know what the Greek word for corrects means? You know what it means in this context? Watch, it's to find fault with, to bring to light, and to expose. That's what the Word of God is doing. That's what the Word of God should be doing in your life. Because listen to me, every week here at Victory, about halfway through the service, if I am doing my job right, and I pray that I am, I'm trying my best, everybody. If I am doing my job right, about halfway through the service, you should feel like a little bit exposed. Like a little bit naked of like, is Paul reading my mail? Like, how does Paul, how does the word of God, how does it know what my family was arguing about this last week? Like, how does it, how does it know what I was thinking? How does it know where I, my shortcoming? That's the Holy Spirit in God's word. It says it shows us, it finds fault to bring to light and to expose. It's the Holy Spirit and it, it should be uncomfortable. Like there should be moments that you realize, hey, that's something that's wrong. And that's God's word illuminating the things in our life. There should be something it says to correct. So you can see pretty quickly why people would reject this process out of hand. You can understand why people are like, I don't like that. I don't want, no, no, need nothing of that in my life. Because everybody loves the banner Christian, but we don't like the journey to sanctification. We don't like the journey to, it's because the first thing God's word does is, hey, you can't speak to your wife like that. Hey, you can't raise your kids like that. Hey, you can't treat your job like that. Hey, you can't treat the people in your life. Hey, you can't spend your money like that. Hey, you can't do those things, entertain those thoughts, give in to those impulses. Hey, you can't say those words. Hey, you can't do the life like that. It corrects. 
It's correction that takes place. And then he says we're supposed to rebuke. That word rebuke means to scold or to restrain. We're supposed to you get that correction of man. <clears throat> my life is off. Like, hey, this is wrong. Hey, this is something I've been, I have been treating my spouse the wrong way. I have been raising my kids the wrong way. I have been treating the people at my workplace. I have been doing the wrong things. You begin to raise this thing of like, this thing is, it's supposed to scold and to restrain. So the second part of this is stop it. They're like, hey, yeah, all of these things are wrong. But then there's the second part of the word of God that's like, hey, you got to stop. Because we don't just say, well, hey, grace, and it's all good. You just keep on doing that. Grace will make up for it. No, no, grace, grace is the reason that we do stop these things. The idea, this incredible idea that God has given us grace, that we don't have to pay for the things that we've done, is transforming our lives into what we could live like. This amazing gift of grace is transforming us. Not that we go on sinning, Paul said. Not that we just live and wallow in our sin. No, but that we have been redeemed and that we have been transformed. And then it says now this idea, it restrains. that we don't, The Lord illuminates things that are wrong and then tells us we've got to stop some things. And then it says we're supposed to be encouraged. Third thing he tells us, what is sound doctrine? He says it's this a correction, this rebuke, and then it says to encourage. That's the part of the message somewhere along the way where I say, hey, we cannot do this under our own power. That it's only the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that allows us to live out the life God has called us to live. And here are three things we can do this week. That's where we encourage each other in the word of God, that it does these three things. And Paul is writing to Timothy, you got to encourage the people in your life. It's what the word is doing, and it should be doing it on a consistent basis. Why? Because none of us are perfect. Listen to me, everybody. I will stand at the front of the line to say that I have faults. None of us are perfect. Even Paul was like, hey, I haven't become what I should become. I haven't, I have not even attained it. I'm not all I should be, but the Holy Spirit is dealing with us. He says to Timothy, but a time is coming that people won't endure sound teaching they don't want the correction or rebuke or the encouragement they won't put up with it anymore so here's what they'll do and it kind of sounds like modern day culture watch this in the next verse he says instead to suit their own desires and that word own desires is translated as like perverted desires or lustful desires their personal gain they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear so instead of actually hearing correction or rebuke or encouragement that just gather around, they want the fire insurance, but they don't want to change. They want to know what they can get Christ to do for them, but they don't want to do anything for Christ. So he's talking about these people. He's saying instead of allowing this process to go place in their life, they want to sleep with who they want to sleep with. And they want to define morality how they want to define morality. They want to live the life that they want to live. They want to do the things that they want to do. And so they want to spend their money the way they want to spend it. They want to treat their families and their people the way they want to live. Their personal and selfish gain. And it says they won't put up with any sound teaching. They'll get rid of the people that are telling us not to do what they are doing. And they want to live in an echo chamber that just affirms any bias they might already hold. And Paul is saying... These people that surround themselves with a great number of teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Now, listen to me. If you spend any amount of time with me, there is nothing wrong with having a steady stream of books and podcasts and other preachers and sermons. In fact, if you spend any time with me at all, I encourage it. I want you to have so many different sources you are learning and growing from. But you have to be so careful. If I can just warn you, in, if you hear nothing else, you have to be so careful in the words you're allowing to influence your life. Because if something is easy to listen to, oftentimes it's because it's not changing you. It's not changing you. And so many times, if I say something that offends you, I promise you can go find 15 different preachers that will tell you that I am wrong. 
And that you can live the life you want to live. But listen to me, it's the word of God that changes us. It's the word of God that corrects and rebukes and encourages. If you actually want to grow in God's word. And so I'm just saying, you got to be careful in who is speaking. you got to be careful. You're drinking from five, six, seven different streams. And if this one offends you and just says something you don't like, then you'll go to all the rest of them. Always trying to find something to scratch their itching ears. And that word, that itching ears, it translates into the things to try to make to feel good. If we can just find enough. So there's not a lot of people that are into Christianity for what they can do for Christ. There's not a lot of people in this thing for how they can change and how they can be sanctified. They want to define morality. They want to define it and they want to do what they want to do. And we reject the entire counsel of God's word. And if we reject it, if we reject the counsel that says it's a sin and that you can't get into heaven if you embrace and follow and pursue that lifestyle instead of accepting the gift of salvation. If they accept that, they're going to find all of these preachers and scriptures that try to affirm the things that they already want. Live how you want. Do what you want. He says, Timothy, the time's coming. They'll turn away from truth. The time is coming. They'll hear what they want to hear. And that word truth there, where it says, turn their ways away and turn their side to myths. It means stories. That word myths. Instead of the truth of God's word, they'll go for stories that make them feel good. And I do believe it's going to be purged out of the body of Christ. I'm not one of those that says, well, this is just going to take root and all. And I think it will be purged. Because he's not returning for a church that is blemished. He's not returning for a bride with spot and wrinkle. He's not returning for a compromised gospel. He's not returning for a compromised church. He's coming back for a bride without spot or blemish. And guess what? Because of that, because the bride has decided to reject the truth, because those who follow the banner have decided to fall away, he says, guess what? People will attack you. Second Timothy chapter four, quickly, I told you we'd run out of time. All right, everybody. Alexander, the coppersmith, he writes in verse 14, did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Aren't you thankful God stands judge? Aren't you, aren't you grateful? Because he is a better judge than you will ever be. Listen to me, everybody. All right. He said, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything that we said. He said, be careful of this dude when you get to town. Be careful because he has fought against it. It's not gossip. He's just warning his protege. That this dude fights against everything that they're trying to accomplish. He's going to attack you. This guy's going to be after you. And it honestly should not surprise us. All the way from Paul's time to the present. It should not surprise when people hate. Jesus said people will hate you on account of me. Now I've preached this before. If people hate you on account of you. That's your own fault everybody. All right. That's just, but on account of the gospel. Because you are standing up. for. Don't be surprised. Be patient with people as you instruct them. Be patient with people in the things of righteousness. Be patient when they attack you and they spew vile insults at your life and they try to bring you down because it's predictable. It's going to happen. It's always happened. Second Timothy chapter two, he says, we watch this. The opponents you have must be gently instructed in the hope God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth that they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So I just remember when people attack me because of the gospel of Christ, that it's not them that's it. It's the devil that has them in his will. And I just pray for them. I don't feel bad that they're attacking me. I feel sorry that they're trapped in this thing. And the same is true for your life. Don't take it personally. They're not after you. They're after God. We can't take these things personal in our life. And I hope you're encouraged by all this because then the next thing after they attack you is that people will desert you. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful you came to church today? People will desert you just telling you that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Tired of rainbows and butterflies. All that. Jesus, yes, God is taking you from glory to glory. Yes, yes, all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. But Jesus also said, I don't have a place to sleep. 
Like everybody has deserted me. Everybody has run out on me. Everybody, nobody's following at that point. People will hate you. You'll be crucified because of your faith. That we have to live a crucified life. Take up our cross. Then not only do people reject the truth, not only do they attack you, people will desert you. And guess what? People will run out on your life just like they did with Paul. Watch this. He says, Timothy, come as soon as you can. Because Demas has deserted me. Because he loves the things of his life and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas is mentioned in Colossians as well. He's this guy who came out of the business world and joins Paul's ministry staff and serving with him. But because he loved money and the things of this world, he's deserted Paul. He's no longer with him. He says, now only Luke, watch this, Crescent is gone. Now only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when he comes. He'll be helpful to me in my ministry. I said, Tychicus to Ephesus. But then he says in verse 16, another betrayal. But the first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me, may not be counted against them. I want to pause for a minute and just recognize he's not talking about his ministry team here. Like, we don't have to explain away and think about, well, he just said Luke is with him, but Luke didn't come. Like, he's just throwing Luke under the bus. Is that way? No, he's not talking about them. He's talking about, and this is pretty fascinating. We don't have time to get into all of it. But in that day, as Paul would stand trial in Rome, they had two major courtrooms that would hold hundreds and hundreds of people in each one. Because back in that day, you'd have the judge and you'd have the court. And then you'd have all the people that would show up. There'd be hundreds and hundreds of people show up to see the trial because they couldn't like watch O.J. Simpson on television. You understand, right? So they had to like show up because they wanted to know what was going to happen. And Paul was at that level of that kind of trial. That Paul is is being tried. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen. They want to see. And so Rome would allow to stand with you when you are being prosecuted by the Roman government. They would allow people of noble repute, people who had a name in the community... They could stand next to you. This is not his ministry team. Those are the witnesses. These are what would be called assistants. And there would be people in the community of standing and noble person. They would be people who would come and lend their weight, their name to stand next to him to be like, Paul is a good guy. Like we know him. We're, we're friends with This is Paul. So people could come. And we knew Paul had lots of friends, both Christians and non. We knew Paul had both Jews and Gentiles because he was very charismatic, very influential in all the people that he reached. But Paul is writing and he's saying in that day, in that moment when he had to stand trial for his life and for his gospel, there was no one with him. In that moment when he had to stand trial in the Roman government for his life, all of those people, those famous and those noble, all of them decided that they'd rather read their good name instead of the gospel. And I just want to remind you, all those famous people and all the influential people and all the things that you think you're rubbing shoulders with, And knocking elbows and you think is getting you where you need to go. And you're trying. I just want to remind you when it comes time one day to stand for the gospel. Chances are none of them are going to be there. None of them are going to be next to you. They were all gone. But here he says in verse 17 as we close. But the Lord stood with me. But the Lord stood with me and he gave me strength. Paul is saying, I stood for my life and there was no one with me, but the Lord was with me and gave me strength so I might preach the good news in its entirety for all of the Gentiles to hear. I love that thought that Paul is at his worst moment and he still doesn't give his own defense. He doesn't stand up and be like, look, I was just trying to help people. Look, I didn't do anything wrongly. Paul, in his worst way, he took it as an opportunity to preach the gospel to the hundreds of people that were in the courtroom that day. He said, nobody stood with me. Everybody deserted me. I stood trial for my life, but I stood up and I still preached the gospel. And I want you to know in your life, there will come a moment where everybody will run away from you. 
There will be a moment where you feel betrayed and you might feel neglected and you might feel abandoned, but the Lord has never left you. That he is an ever-present help in times of trouble, that he stands with us in our darkest moment, that he always has your back. And in that moment, when you feel abandoned, in that moment when you feel neglected, in that moment when you have the worst moment of your life, it will be the strongest moment of your faith because you can stand in boldness in the power that the Holy Spirit gives and preach the gospel in that day that God will see people saved even when you feel like you're deserted. That God stood with us. That God was in our side and the Holy Spirit to declare the word of the Lord. And I pray that you are able to articulate the word of God in that moment. That you know the power that has set you free. Like he says, preach the word, Timothy, whether it is favorable or not. Preach the word, whether it is the time you think or not. Preach the word. Paul said, I stood for my life alone. And I preached the word. And I am thankful that they heard the salvation that can set them free. And in response, he says, he has rescued me from certain death. That day as he stood trial, if he had been found guilty, he would have been executed immediately. And Paul's like, yep. God delivered me from that moment. But then he says, watch this. Watch what he says. The ever present help. Just round one. He says, I won that round. And then he says with confidence, he closes his ministry. He knows this is the end. The last words we have from Paul on this planet. The last time he closes, he says, and yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack. And then watch this. And he says, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. I used to read that and I would question, like, Paul, which is it? Like, is he going to deliver you from every attack? Like, he's going to say, or is he going to bring you to his heavenly kingdom? And Paul, with his eyes on eternity, is like, yes. Even at the end of his life, even when he's right there, his eyes set on his eternity. One more time, his perspective is clear. God will deliver me and God will bring me safe into his heavenly kingdom. To him be all of the glory forever and ever. Amen. Always remember, Timothy, set your eyes on eternity. Always remember where it is that we're going. Always remember what actually matters in this life. Always remember that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. Always remember that the word is a firm foundation. Always remember to preach the gospel. Always remember this life is not about this life. Remember the call that we are called to fulfill. Remember the eternal race that we are called to run. Always remember. Every head bowed, every eye closed today. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith. Look, I don't know where you are and I don't know what you think about when I tell you that his kingdom is coming. And when you think about your moment standing before your creator, when you have to give an account for the things you've done in this life, I don't know where you are in your journey. All I know is that it is true that he will bring his kingdom. It is true that there is a judgment. And on that day when you stand before your creator, there is a judgment that says, did you accept the free gift of salvation or not? And listen to me, I don't know what you see in that day, in your mind's eye right now, if you imagine that moment. But I know how you can have assurance of salvation in eternity, and that is only through Jesus Christ. That is only accepting the salvation of Him. There is no other way to God. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. You say, how would I have that assurance of salvation? Listen, Jesus came to this world... He lived like we lived and he died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins, but he didn't stay dead. The Bible says he rose again, that anyone, including you, can call on the name of Jesus and be saved. 
And so in this moment, you say, I don't understand how I can. In this moment, you can call on his name. It's great that you have praying family around you. Maybe a grandmother that prayed for you. It's great that maybe you've lived and tried to do good things. It's great all of that. But listen to me. The only thing that saves is to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. And so in this moment, you have a chance. Our church has dedicated itself that we will pray this prayer with every person who wants to pray it. And so right now, we can give you the words to say, but you have to say it and you have to mean it in your own heart. You have to believe. You have to put your faith. You have to repent. But I promise you, it will not get easier than right now to surrender to him. That it is a life lived out of following Christ. But right now you can make that decision in this moment. That you can know your eternity is secure. So we're going to pray it with you right now. Church, we pray with everybody who wants to pray. Nobody prays alone. Every head is bowed. But if you say right now, that's me. Pray it with us. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, I thank you for every person here. God, I pray you would help us to always remember to fan the flames of the giftings you have given us. Lord, help us to strengthen our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That we would live in his power. That we would treat others and we would see the life you've called us to live. Father, each week as we go out, let us always remember that the tomb is empty and that Jesus is alive, that we rally around the fact that we serve a risen Savior. Living our lives on the firm foundation that is the Word of God, knowing that it is the anchor to our souls. And Father, help us to always be ready in season, out of season, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient, when it's good for us, when it's not good for us. Help us always to be ready to preach the Word. Because we know that eternity hangs in the balance. To be patient with people, encouraging, to build them up, to show love, but always to preach the truth. To be a light in this world, I pray it, in the spirit and the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us opportunities, give us chances to share our faith, to preach the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Show us opportunities, God. Give us people to reach. And let us be faithful to the calling you have placed on our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what he's done today?